That's a great tune. <laughs> Every teenager in this room saying, what the world just happened? <laughs> oh, Johnny Cash just happened. <laughs> oh, my goodness. That brings back a lot of memories. Uh, my mom and stepfather would often uh, play music uh, in the house. And uh, the old 45 record player, 33 albums, some of you remember those days. Um, they would dance and, in the living room by the TV, and we would just sit and watch and wonder what in the world's going on. And, uh, you know, even to this day, my folks, uh, uh, now I look at it, and it's, it's beautiful. Uh, before, I thought they were nuts. Um, but still, uh, when we go visit them in Maryland, uh, they'll put on some old tunes, and they'll dance together in the kitchen. They'll dance together uh, in the front room, even at 80 years old. It's just it's uh, a blessing to watch. And there's a lot of truth to that song too. Uh, because you're mine, I, I'll walk the line. Uh, marriage is a ch- challenging. So many things pulling at us. We're opposed by an enemy who doesn't desire that we make it. And I just want to begin right here to the person that you're married to right now. You made a covenant before God to the person that you're married to that you said these kind of words, that you would hold them from this day forward for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish from this day forward until death do us part. You know, we hang plaques everywhere in our homes, achievements that we've had, awards, um, banners, certificates, and, and probably one that needs to be right out in front of us all the time are, are, is our wedding certificate, our wedding vows that not only did we make to each other, but we told our God that we would do this. What would happen if we just took those words to heart? What would happen if we just said, you know what, God, I made this covenant before you, and I'm going to do whatever it takes on my behalf, and I'm going to let you keep us together. And I'm not looking for any options, and I'm not, divorces isn't an option. What if we truly we're people of our word. What if we are Christians who said, I'm going to be a person of my word. I'm going to be a husband of my word. What if we said, we're going to make, not only just endure this marriage, but we're going to make it something special because that's what you want, God. I really believe that if we finally got to that point and understood that there's no options, that we would stop looking for other options. And the option that we only have is our spouse. And we would turn this into something beautiful because that's what God intends. So I really encourage you today to think through that, those vows that you made before God, to the person that you're married to today, because you're mine, no one else will ever, ever be able to be yours. Marriage is a challenging journey. And I'm often reminded of a childhood game when I think of marriage. As a kid, I used to love to play this game, uh, Operation. And in a lot of ways, this should have been rated PG-13, by the way. Take a look at that dude, man. Just... I mean, it should have been kids 12, 13, and older. Um, serious. Take a look. <laughs> um, but marriage, is, it, it really is, it's, it's a journey. It's a uh, process where you get to know that person better. And it's this, it's this continuing uh, operation of, of discovery. It's this continual operation of, of things like don't go there. It's, it's this, this, this tedious process at times. It seems like it's impossible. And you remember playing this as a kid, trying to get the funny bone out and, and thinking, man, there is no way. And then if you just t- 
touch, you know, it just lights up. And there's a sense that that seems impossible. And so, but you would go back at it again because, you know, you wanted to win. And so you try to pull a, another, get the wishbone out. And that was always a challenge get, and get the wishbone. Oh, maybe I can get it. Or maybe get the Adam's apple and reach in there and realize this is challenging. But, you know, even as a kid, this operation process, we didn't give up because we wanted to win this thing. And marriage is a lot like that. There's things that you learn about your spouse that, wow, I didn't know that that connected to this. And I didn't know that this connected to, to that, somehow attached to the heart. And you soon realize that all these areas, all these other areas were somehow connected to the center of emotions. And marriage is a lot like this guy right here in this game. It's a discovery. It's a journey. It's an operation. Some things we do better than others, and sometimes we get buzzed. And so we come right back at it and we try again. And eventually we learn things about each other that are important. And you learn them over time. That's one of the things that I'm learning personally. You know, just been married, Ann and I have been married 24 years this summer. And as, and as I think about, I mean, praise God for that. And it's because of his grace. I mean, take a look. I mean, seriously, it, it, it really is. But I love being married to my wife. And I take my vows seriously and also own up to my responsibility. I just want to speak to men who are owning up your responsibility. You have, there are some women in this room, some wives in this room, who are just dying for you to lead. Dying for you to be the man that Christ intended to live. And you continue, continue to just waffle in this life. Listen to me, dudes. If you're a man of God and you're married, it's time you get up and lead and lead tenderly. Some of you are in cycles of just insanity, just expecting her to provide only and expecting others to care for you instead of adapting some change. Let's get back in the game and say, God, I want to lead this family, lead this marriage the way you intended. Would you be least open to listen to me t today? Couples, just married couples, husbands and wives, at least say, God, I will open my heart to some of the truths that I might hear today. Would you also listen to this marriage and not think, well, I'm glad he's listening to it, or I'm glad she's listening to it. Take away what you can take away and realize you can only control you and you can't control them. If we adapted that philosophy instead of trying to fix the other person, marriages would change in an amazing way. And so as we walk through this journey today, there's something that happens when you know that she's yours or he's yours. In my perspective, Anne is mine. And you know what? She's not up for grabs. She's a first round pick and I have her. I'm protecting her and I'm going to fight for her until my very last breath. That's the philosophy. I'm going to love her and care for her and do whatever I can to make this marriage flourish with God at the center of it. It's time we just man up, men, and did that. It would settle a lot of difficulties in our relationships. You see, I refuse to believe that divorce is even an option to the person I'm married to. You got to adopt that philosophy. You got to quit saying, well, maybe there'll be another option. Listen, there is no option under God when you say, I do. None to the person you're married to today. 
Now listen to me. I'm not going back and I'm not, I don't care about your past. I don't care about what happened in your past. Let's talk right now. If we just stood up and said, God, we're going to make this work. What would happen? I'll tell you what happened. There'd be a revolution right here at Grace Community Church that would impact the world. And it would be an example to our children and their children that with God, all things are possible. Isn't that basically, if we just stopped there and said, if we adopted this philosophy that with God, all things are possible, imagine what could happen to our marriages. You see, we have to adopt that. Grab your Bibles and we're going to go on a journey today and turn to Matthew chapter 19. If you need a Bible, hold your hand up. Matthew chapter 19. You need a Bible, hold your hand up, and our ushers will be glad to place one in your hand. Turn to Matthew chapter 19, and let's look at verses 4 through 6. Matthew chapter 19, first book of the New Testament. Let's look at verses 4 through 6. Would you stand with me, and we'll read it together. Matthew 19, verses 4 through 6. Let's read this together. Ready, read. Haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning the Creator made them male and female? And praise the Lord, hallelujah, interjection, Jim Brown. Verse 5. And said, for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one. Therefore, what God has joined together, let man not separate. You may have a seat. Let's just start there. Jesus said this, two become one flesh. Two become one flesh and they work it out and don't let man separate it. It means work at it. It's a daily discovery. It's a daily operation. It's a daily surgery. It's this journey of not letting anyone else take yours. It's saying, she is mine. And, and looking at, as ladies, you can say, he is mine. And if we just establish that a God's desire is that no man separates this, it changes our decisions. We don't entertain other options. Let no man separate. By the way, whatever happened to our word being our bond? And just talk about trust. Let's build trust with that. But even more than that, it's more than just daily going through the motions. You see... A good marriage is centered upon Christ refuses to just go through the motions. That's part of the problem with marriages. We have couples that are just going through the motions. And we have these dried up wives and, and we have these dried up husbands and these wilted flowers. And somehow we think, man, if this is as good as it gets, then why stay together? It takes hard work. And it takes us depending on God. So let's, let's, let's put this premise down. I refuse to go through the motions. While some of us have taken to heart that logically. And some of us even physically, maybe even spiritually. You have your list down and you're doing everything you think you need to do. But you have yet to build upon that even emotionally. You say things like, I'm stuck with him. I'm stuck with her until I die. And there is no way out of this mess. And you have adopted this as your thorn in the flesh until you die. That's not what Christ intended. That's going through the motions. Our relationships drift when you put them into autopilot. And so we have these robotic relationships that are just kind of wake up, do this, do that, go to bed, feed, sleep. And you just want to, you're tired of it because there's not a difference in it. 
Hannah's had many doll babies along the way, and, we, and, and, and it's been fun getting her doll babies. But there's just this one doll baby that I think back, and we were so excited about getting it for her for Christmas. And, and it just had this robotic response over and over. And it's like marriage. It's like, that's all it is. And, and it, had, it came with a spoon, it came with food, and it came with a bottle. And so if you would turn it on, it would, it would stay by itself. And when it was hungry, it would just say these words. It was so endearing at first. Feed me. I'm hungry. So Hannah would walk over, stick a spoon in the baby's mouth, and it would be satisfied. Or she'd stick a bottle in it. And so she would hold it. It was endearing. She's six, seven years old. And the baby would say, feed me. I'm hungry. Oh, isn't the baby cute? But after like 10 times in a day, feed me. I'm hungry. Feed me. I'm hungry. And then after 20 times in a day, that thing ended up stuffed in the bottom of the toy chest. It was monotonous motion. I even recall one night, this thing began to, to go on its own with that death-crying crawl from the basement. Feed me. I'm hungry. Feed me. I'm hungry. I'm going to feed you. So what I was thinking is just, I remember getting up in the middle of the night, and I, I, I couldn't get the batteries out of the thing. The screw was stripped on it. And I was ready to just break this thing in half and, and it was all the while, and I'm walking up the basement steps at one morning, the thoughts were running through my mind weren't godly thoughts, dismemberment, decapulation. So I literally opened the back door and threw it out in the yard. And some of you are even there today. It's like you hear this monotonous, it's just this thing coming from him. Feed me, I'm hungry. I'll feed you when you're hungry. And so a lot of relationships have, that's what they've come to. It's just this monotonous going through the motions. And some of you are just roommates. You become roommates instead of lovers and soulmates. And you seem like there's no end to sight to this monotonous cry from this person. And you think... I can't get out of this. There's nothing I can do to change this person. And so all you become, one is in one room. You, you're in another room. He sleeps here. She sleeps here. The kids come home. You have an amicable time together for supper. But that's it. There's no, there's no passion. There's no joy. It's just this going through the motion. And then you read verses like Ecclesiastic 9.9. It says, enjoy your wife. And you're like, how am I supposed to enjoy the, the wife of my youth? It's impossible. And so your marriage literally has become like the guards, the changing of the guards at Buckingham Palace. Have you ever seen her? Have you ever gotten close to the, the guards that are similar to that? And you look down, there's no expression, no emotion. Even if the bug lands on their nose, they continue. Just, it's just, just like this. And that's how a lot of marriages are. It's just this picture of monotony. It's like, no wonder it needs to move from, from the changing of the guards to add a little spice to something like, how about Richard Simmons being changing of the guards? Picture that. Imagine him walking in with those dudes. I mean, it needs to move. Yet some of you are saying, well, that's as good as it's going to get, and I just pray that God takes them home soon. And then somehow I'll change it later. Listen, probably, the, probably what it needs, you need to be changed. Listen, marriages can be incredible. There can be moments, and 
there's many here can attest to it. When you passionately love your wives, men, and they passionately love you and you passionately love God and you're centered around him, man, it's good, really good. Where you're at, you could move from where you're at if you choose to. Now, you might think, how, how does that happen? Well, when I think of Ecclesiastes 9, enjoy your wife. It's this picture of, of putting joy into something, not pulling it out. It conjures up to me laughter, smiles, electricity, spark, excitement. It's a picture of an elderly couple. By the way, it has nothing to do with age. Like somehow, as the, the longer you're married, it's like the worst it is. Oh, baloney. And you continue to pour into it. And we give this picture to these young kids like, well, you don't be married more than three years. You get married more than three years, it, the pizzazz just runs out. Well, come to my house and I'll show you pizzazz. It's this picture of, of, of an elderly couple walking down the shoreline. Just picture if you can. 70 years old. Just, they're madly still in love with each other. He has his arm around her. She has his arm around him. And you're on the beach. It's early in the morning. They're walking. All of a sudden, now, she walks up with hands and just gooses him. That's the picture. Why not? That's possible. We think like somehow, well, I've been married 60 years. We can't really love each other. There can't be any pizzazz. All baloney. Listen, we believed a bunch of lies. The longer you can be married to someone, the more you discover the more you operate, and the more you see that the funny bone is connected to the heart, you adapt and you grow in this relationship. In fact, the Bible gives us an incredible picture of love, and we're going to talk about more intimate love next week. But turn to the book of Song of Songs, chapter 7. Like when I read this, it's like, man, this is good stuff. Look at Song of Songs in the Old Testament. And turn to chapter 7. Song of Songs, chapter 7. This is a picture of taking marriage from the survive mode to the thrive mode. Song of Songs, chapter 7. You'll find Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes. Next book, go write Song of Songs. Look at Song of Songs, chapter 7. Look what the lover's response, his response to his, his bride. It's a beautiful picture of emotional and intimacy and just love and passion. He says this in chapter 7 and verse 1. How beautiful your sandal feet, O prince's daughter. Your graceful legs are like jewels, the works of a craftsman's hands. How many of you said that to your wives this morning? Your navel is a rounded goblet that never lacks blended wine. Your waist is a mound of wheat encircled by lilies. Your breasts are like two fawns, twins of a gazelle. Now that's awesome stuff there. Verse 4 for married couples only. Verse 4. Your neck is like an ivory tower. Your eyes are the pools of Heshbon by the gate of Bath-Rabbim. Your nose is like the tower of Lebanon looking towards Damascus. Don't use that one. Verse 5. Your crowns like Mount Carmel. Your hair is like royal tapestry. The king is held captive by its tresses. How beautiful you are and how pleasing. Oh, love with your delights. Your stature is like that of the palm, and your breasts like clusters of fruit. You know a man wrote this. He said breasts twice already. Verse 8, he said, I will climb the palm tree. Hey, we're wired differently. I will climb the palm tree. I will take hold of its fruit. May your breasts be like the clusters three times in one paragraph. 
Verse four, your mouth like the best wine. And her response to this, may the wine go straight to my lover, flowing gently over lips and teeth. I belong to my lover and his desire is for me. Verse chapter eight and, 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 and look at verse three. His left arm is under my head and his right arm embraces me. Daughters of Jerusalem, I charge you, do not arouse or awaken love until it so desires. Look at verse five, second half. Under the apple tree, I roused you. There your mother conceived you. There, there she who was in labor gave birth. Read on with me, look at verse 10. He says, I am a wall, her response, and my breasts are like towers. And he's saying, yes, thus I become in his eyes like one bringing contentment. Verse 14, come away, my lover, and be like a gazelle or like a young stag on the spice-laden mountains. Have you ever seen a deer in heat chasing down a doe? It's this picture of two romantic lovers chasing. Now, listen, was that the picture in your house last night or this week? And the reality is it can be. There's so much more that we can have in this relationship with, with our spouses. And yet some of us are just going through the motions thinking this is as good as it's going to get. And we're just like the changing of the guards. When we need to adapt, it could be so much better. And so many marriages are just going through the motions. I want to remind you of something that impacts this motion process. And it's good to repeat these because we get, they get lost in the trenches. There are many people who are a lot brighter than me. Well, most people are brighter than me, but there's, there's one that talks about marriage. And, and they talk about the four stages of love. Now, now the reason I tell you these is because you, you will walk through these stages of love with your spouse. The first stage is this, and take notes. You want to take these down because you might say, you can go home and say, okay, where do you think we're at, babe? Where do you think we're at? And if we're here, then this is what we need to know. The first stage is called infatuation. It's the sixth, the 12 month period for those that are just originally married. It's when you have euphoric feelings, daydream about each other. It's like they're always on your mind. And you, you know what I'm talking about. It's like you would drive 500 miles to just drive by Target because you knew they were a cashier and just wave in the window and drive the whole way back 500 miles and go to work at 5 a.m. You would do that. And then when you get married, you don't even want to get up at 5 a.m. It's what you do because of infatuation. And you can see no wrong in your lover. It's time when this, this chemical called PEA is released in our bodies. It's when it triggers positive attitudes, increased energy, and you have less need for sleep. It's when you have unrealistic optimism. It, it's when the guy meets the girl on the college campus and all he does is think about her and he's just daydreaming and she's daydreaming about him. And it's like he could stay up all night long thinking about her. And during this time, if you have someone that you're dating, you always believe the best in that person. And no, not even your best friend can come to you and say, man, do you really know what he's like? Oh, and so when you have the, it's called blind love. It's like, all you feel is love and there's, he could do no wrong. And even your girlfriends come and say, do you really understand? This isn't the man for you. Oh no, you don't know him like I know him. Oh my, I just feel so good. It's infatuation. And so you have these unrealistic 
view of who he is. And somewhere between six to 12 months, it begins to wane. And all of us have been there. And it's a dangerous place to be because I watch couples who begin to court. That's why I believe it's good to be friends and get to know the person and see them for who they really are instead of letting infatuation drive the decisions that you make. And if you're a person who gets married because you're infatuated after six to 12 months, I can tell you what happens. All of a sudden, you wake up one day and thought, everything she said about him is true. He does scratch his butt. He does belch when everyone's around. It's just, and like, oh, what am I doing? It's a scary time because we can make decisions we later regret. And maybe you settle for the mate you're with. And love is blind. But listen, it's also an exciting time. But you've got to recognize, this is where I'm at. Sooner or later, I'm going to drop off of this euphoric feeling. All of a sudden, I'm with this person. And during this time, listen to me, couples out there who have yet to be married. During this time, please listen to wise, godly counsel. People who will speak into your life and say, this isn't a man of God. This isn't a woman of God. This person has no purpose in their life. This person doesn't know what they want to do. You know what you want to do. Listen to me. Even though you feel this way, pause and listen to me adults who have a Christ-centered relationship with Jesus Christ speak that into people's lives I give you permission don't let them make the wrong choice because once you make the choice it's a covenant between God and it's forever so the first stage is infatuation the second stage is post rapture this is when people begin to think they're falling out of love. And you heard me say last week, people don't fall out of love, they fall out of repentance. It's when the brain and its nerve endings begin to leave the infatuation state and they go back to the normal state. The novelty wears off. The introverts talk less. The pragmatists become less spontaneous. Angry people start losing their temper again. In fact, if you get married during the infatuation time, the post-rapture stage can be very discouraging. His or her negative traits begin to glare right at you. You start focusing on what is wrong instead of what is right, and you begin to ask the question, did I marry the right person? And then there's the next stage of love called the discovery stage. This is a time when you truly care about the needs of your spouse. A time to nurture, respect, and you have admiration for each other. It's a time when you truly find out what I love you means. I want to stop and just hit the pause button here. Most people don't get here. Because marriages today barely last five years. And you barely get into the discovery stage in the five-year period. And the discovery stage is when everything turns the corner. And you realize, wow, man, look what God has done. Look what we can do together. And this is those times when you begin to, to discover things because you're, you're growing in your relationship with Jesus and she is too. And this love begins to just grow and flourish. The last stage of love is called the connection stage. This is when you have expanding commitment, deepening friendships, security, and safety flourishes. It's an intimate connection that takes place and soars way past the infatuation stage. Most never get here. Today, I'm telling you, most marriages don't make it this far. 
Because most are still trying to get back. Why can't I love like I did during the infatuation stage? How come when I see them, I still don't feel this? And, and so if you just continue to pour into their love tanks and you keep God at the center and you work at your relationship with God, this love begins to deepen and blossom. And let me tell you something. This stage is so much better than the infatuation stage. It's a deep, intimate love. And you see this woman, for my case, this incredible woman called Ann Bortner Brown. And you just, there's times on my knees and I just say, thank you, God. Thank you. This is a gift from heaven. Listen to me today. Don't bail out. There's this process of love that we walk through in the connection stage is where you will fight to hell and back for your spouse. Yet look at the stats on divorce that we have today. 80% of couples make it to their fifth anniversary. 60% make it to their 10th. 40-some percent make it to their 15th anniversary. It's just easy to just go try again. Listen, to the person that you're sitting beside today that you're married to, divorce isn't an option. Let me also say this in light of this information. All the behavioral skills in the world won't punt pump life back into your ailing marriage if the couple doesn't trust each other and it's not centered upon Jesus Christ. You could have, you could do all kinds of lists. You could do this list and that list and this thing and go to this seminar and go to that marriage conference and read this book and that book. If Christ is not at the center and there's not trust at the foundation, it will never pump life back into this marriage relationship. The journey is trust. Building that trust. Start today. You might say, I don't feel like I have trust. Well, then doggone it, start building some trust. If your wife wants you to be home at 5, be home at 4.50. If your husband wants you to follow through with making a phone call for the kids, then follow through. Build trust. And when the trust begins to build, it strengthens the relationship with each other and in God. That's why the relationship with God is always an incredible relationship because we can trust him no matter what. He'll never leave us nor forsake us. What would happen if we took that philosophy into marriage and said, babe, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. Trust, build it. Some might ask, give me one good reason why I should love this jerk of a wife or a husband this uncaring, selfish, blundering, frustrating, badly flawed person. Give me one good reason, Pastor Jim, and to that I will say, because God says we should. Isn't that enough as Christ followers? Whatever happened to just saying, God, I honor you. I trust you, God. Listen to me. When we honor God, 1 Samuel 2.30 says, he will honor us. I will take and take a bullet in the head for that, knowing that's good truth. Honor him, he honors you. By the way, God wants your marriage to succeed. He even goes so far as to say in Luke chapter 6, turn to Luke chapter 6, you might say, how can I love this person who's supposedly my friend? God even goes a step farther. Turn to Luke chapter 6. When Jesus was on earth, this is what he said about caring for people and doing good things for people. Not only just for your friends, he takes it a step farther. Look at Luke chapter 6 and verse 32. Jesus, you might say, how can I love this person who's not even my enemy? 
Luke chapter 6 and verse 32, Jesus said, If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. You see, often we approach marriage with saying, well, I'll do this for them if they do this for me. Jesus said, even if it's your enemy and they can't pay you back, repay you back, love them. And by the way, this is your spouse. He's asking us to love our enemies, even if they can't pay you back. And so often you think, well, I've done this six times this week, Pastor Jim, and I've got nothing back. I'm fed up. I'm done. I'm going through the motions. No, you continue to do it because it's the right thing to do. And that's what Christ followers do. Often the change doesn't need to occur in the other person. It needs to occur in us. There are two kind of changes to help improve a relationship. You can either increase pleasure or decrease pain. Stop there and think about that. Two kind of changes. You can either increase pleasure or decrease pain to make the relationship better. You can eliminate undesirable ones or increase desirable ones. So if you continue to do the good things and you eliminate the bad things, then that's what your spouse begins to focus on because you're doing more of the other than this one. It's much easier to do something your spouse likes than to stop doing something they hate. It just is. It's, it's, it's how we're wired. So adding loving behaviors reduces annoying ones. So if you know that your spouse likes their back rubbed, rub their back. If you know that your spouse loves when you affirm him and say, thank you for working hard, tell him until you can't say it anymore. Do the things that you know are behaviors that they appreciate over, increase, and increase, and increase, and increase the sooner or later. That's what they'll notice. It's the nature of mankind. And by the way, you can't change your mate. You can only change you. You are in control of you. You are not in control of them. And so many marriages, you know, I have people walk and say, Pastor Jim, this... I can't, I've tried everything to change them. Pastor Jim, I've tried everything under the sun and he won't change. And guess what I say? God is calling us to be concerned about our relationship. What you have control over is you and your response to him and your response to her. That's what you can control. I'm a fan of Charlie Brown comic strips, Peanuts. It's obvious. When your name's Charlie Brown, you're a fan of Charlie Brown. Now, by the way, I don't like what happens to Charlie Brown. I don't want to be that Charlie Brown. But many of us have watched the movies Charlie Brown. Many of us have seen where Lucy likes to pick on Charlie Brown. And most of you know this this story where she holds the football out. And Charlie, she convinces Charlie Brown to kick the ball. That somehow she's not going to pull it out and he's not going to come up and kick it. And she's going to pull it out and he's not going to fall on his backside. She's convinced him. So over and over and over again, you watch this and it's like, oh, Charlie Brown. And so he's hoping that she'll change. So he lines up and he's ready to kick the field goal. And he gets ready and get close and she pulls it out and he falls on his backside. And we're like, oh, poor Charlie Brown. No, I think, Charlie Brown, you're an idiot. I can say that to Charlie Brown. And I think, Charlie, do you think 
that you're going to cause her to change? And so I look at that and I say, Charlie, you should take control of that situation. Why would you do something that you have no control over? The control you have, Charlie Brown, is to take the football from Lucy and become a quarterback. You have control of the ball. And so I have no pity for Charlie Brown. Because he's trying to change Lucy when in reality he could change his decisions and say, I'm not going there again. Because I know if I go there, this is what happens. And I can't control how she changes, but I can change my behavior. No matter how depressing or irritating your spouse might be, your response to every life situation is your responsibility. Don't put your happiness in their hands. By the way, God never called us to be happy. He called us to be holy. And some of us are on this journey to be happy all the time. The Christ journey can be very, very challenging. Their suffering and sacrifice are part of it. But you have no control over the other person. Don't put your happiness in their hands. I will not wait, and you should not wait, for your spouse to change to make you happy. And in the case of Charlie Brown, we shouldn't say, poor Charlie. We say, Charlie, get a clue. Change your behavior. You see, I refuse to get to the end of my life, and so should you with regrets. And and wish that I had given everything instead of going through the motion. Now, here's where it hurts. Many of you have found that the answer to the old crank of a husband or the unbearable wife wasn't fixed by the next marriage. Now listen to me. I know there's some horrible stories. And by God's grace, I feel sorry for the things you had to walk through. And by God's grace, you were resurrected from that poor situation before. But listen, if you have this past marriage and you think you're in this journey right now with this person that somehow you see this other person and think, boy, if I only had her, I would be so much happier. If I only had him... I would be so much happier. If you really think there's truth to that, listen, come here. I want, I want you to come here in a second. I just want to hit you upside the head and say, that's not true. If you think you can take the same you and go to another relationship and that somehow that you won't take your problems because we're both often at fault and you don't fix you, that somehow this relationship won't one day get past the infatuation stage and you're in trouble again, then you're kidding yourselves. Work at you. You see, if you do not fix you first, then taking you to the next marriage will not solve the problems for you. I watch it happen over and over again. Oh, this man is so great. And he'll, when I get him, I'll be so much happier and I'll be so much better and things will be so much better. And, and reality is maybe there were some things with you that you needed to get fixed. You have control over you in your personal relationship with Jesus Christ. By the way, why is it when breakup does occur? I mean, how often do you see this? The spouse all of a sudden gets in shape, joins a club. All of a sudden gets a new hairdo and goes to the tanning salon and buys a new outfit and gets another 20 pair of shoes. Why, why does it happen when they break up? Listen, why not do it now for your man? Why not be fit? Why not be, be happy in, in who you are? Why not work hard at that? Why not give your very best now to the person you're married to? By the way, I'm going to speak to men. Some of you are blowing it big time. You say, oh, Jim, here you go again. Listen to me, guys. Some of you are two times the man you were when your wife met you. 
It's the truth. Some of you, you couldn't walk or run a mile. You would, both arteries would just burst. Listen to me. Give your wife the best quality of a man that's possible, physically, emotionally, spiritually, and intellectually. Give her your best. Some of you are killing yourselves. And not only your wife, but you're limiting how God can use you. It'd be horrible for us to stand at the Bema seat one day and God said, hey, I was willing, wanting to do this with you, but you limited how I could use you because of your poor health choices. I don't want to stand before my God who shed blood for me on the cross and somehow say, you know what? I limit how God wanted to use me because I love food more than I love my God. I love, I love addictions more than I love discipline. And listen to me, I'm speaking for wives. They want healthy men. Got quiet in here, but it's the truth. Amen. Thanks for those two people who agree with that. Choose to build new memories and celebrate old ones. You know, I, you know, when I think about this, some of us think, well, I just got to endure. Holy cow. Man, how many more years of this? Man, go build some new memories. Do you not think God wouldn't unload his resources if you really wanted to make this marriage flourish? Doggone it, he would. God desires that your marriage flourishes. But you got to get rid of selfish you. And you got to become a servant. You got to take the Philippians 2, where God became man and humbled himself. It's the philosophy of serving one another. Marriage has so many memories along the way. When Ann and I want to talk about marriage or our kids, we can talk to each other about it. And some of those same memories that we can laugh and cry about are just special. I mean, what do you do when, when, when you choose to walk away and all those memories that you had of your kids when you were little, who do you share that with? Celebrate the old memories and build new ones. There's nothing like the we did it factor either. Have you ever accomplished something in your marriage that's like unbelievable? I love the resurrection stories too in marriages. I, I, I remarried a couple that was married, got divorced, were way far away from God, way far away from God went on this just horrible path of choices. God got a hold of their life down the road. And I remarried them. I watched this couple go full circle. And you talk about the kids were at the marriage. You should have seen the kids. They stood up. They were the best men and the best women at this marriage. It was beautiful. It's what grace can do. But there's nothing like that we did it factor. Listen, to the person you're married to, make a covenant between God, God, we're building new memories. We're celebrating old ones. And I'm going to be with her and him until I breathe my last breath. No one ever can take that away from you either. And you can take that feeling to the grave knowing that when you stand before Jesus, that you gave your best. I tell couples all the time when you face trials, don't throw in the towel. But remember, Luke 18, 27 says, with man, it's impossible. But with God, all things are possible prioritize each other. You will get swamped and overwhelmed by life. Make time for each other. And there's different seasons. Your kids are at different ages. And there's times when, when you have small children. Listen to me. Here's another thing. Just point blank truth. Quit making your kids feel like they're a burden to you. 
I see people post stuff and write stuff. Oh, I, these kids, they're killing me. They're, they're like, man, I, they're all young, and I can't get a babysitter. And I want to say, you're the one that had the kids. Listen, when you speak death like that over your kids, you're, they're what they're reaping, they're hearing that. Enjoy your children when they're little. Be creative in doing things with your family together. Have family things at home that you can love your wife and, he, and she can love her husband with the kids even when they're little. It is possible. Kids are not a burden. They are a blessing. In fact, they're a reward from God. Some of you see them as a detriment to God from God. Love them. Quit making them such a burden. Say, oh, we, I, don't, I can't go out with my husband. I can't go out with my wife because we've got these little kids. Well, just enjoy them then. Man, I just did disgusted with that conversation. You make them feel like they're not worthy of being alive. You see, I don't want my kids to grow up and think that mom and dad always thought they were a burden and they're five or six. Well, we don't get to do as much as we used to. Well, then do it with them. Prioritize each other. You see, what you model in front of your kids, they remember and they see. It's more powerful than your words. A couple weeks ago, I was picking Ann up out front here from uh, in front of Grace after the third service and Hannah was in the vehicle and this is one of my good times. I don't have fine times, and, and you know that, that that's true. But this is one time out of ten I got it right. And I pulled up front, and, and Ann was coming out the door, and I said, man, I looked at Hannah, and I looked at Isaiah, and I said, man, I love your mom. I just love her. I said, I love her dearly, and I love her inside, and I love her out. And I looked... Over and Hannah says, Dad, she said, and I'm glad. We have some work to do even in that area. Choose to fight for your best friend. Guard the gate. Listen to me, guys. Pray over your wives. Make sure they're worshiping in the local church. Don't let the business of life and the perimeter stuff pull you away. Your sins affect the future. Guard the gate. Don't go for counterfeit pleasure, pornography, masturbation, extramarital affairs. There's nothing like the real thing centered around Jesus Christ, your wife. No imitation ever measured up to a relationship that's centered around God. Same for you, ladies wishing that the bachelor was your man. Every man could look like that if he had 10 weeks to lift weights and he ate steak and diet and didn't have to go to work. And he had a professional groomer that took care of his hair and, and he had a, an unlimited budget. It's like we look at these men and think, oh, I wish I had him. That's not reality. And when you read your romance novels, that's not reality. Whatever happened, just loving your man that you're with, who works hard every day, is faithful and would fight to hell in the back for you. What happened to you saying, you know, honey, it's been 10, 20, 30, 40 years, and I love you.
I'm proud of you. And I'm glad you're my man. Whatever happened to speaking life into your marriage instead of words of death? Because you're mine, I'll walk the line. I've asked my wife, Anne, to join me on stage to walk through some questions and to get her perspective. And so I'd like for her to come up. We really do love each other. And uh, I am blessed to have my wife. And you know what? I don't apologize for this. And a lot of you understand this. Isn't it good when you love each other? And I'm not pretending that it's easy and saying that it's easy, but I can look at my wife, Ann, and she can trust me because. My eyes are only after hers. And I feel the same way with her. I don't ever have to doubt or wonder if Anne's eyes are roaming and I trust her. There's something special about that connection stage. It's a lot better than the infatuation stage, which, which is good too. And so honey, I'd like for you to respond to a couple questions here. Um, what would you say to all the ladies out there who find themselves in a going through the, the motions kind of marriage, what, what, what would you say to them? What would be some advice? Okay. Well, I know a lot of you are there. Um, I meet with ladies occasionally, some, and um, I know that that's just where a lot of people really are. And, and you probably have a lot of hurts in your heart. And um, I just want to tell you that God really can heal those hurts and that he can walk you through this time and to spend time with him first, not just praying. I mean, you pray, but part of praying is listening and being in the word and, and hearing what he has to say. And um, that it's good to pray for our husbands, but I know in my experience that as I was doing that, um, a lot of times God says, wait a second, I have something for you that you need to change or some issues that we need to work through. Um, so I get, spend time with God and listen to him in his word. That's where you're going to find your strength and the truth. And be open that it may just be you that needs some adjusting. What are some ways that... Uh women can, can fight for their husbands and make them come alive? Or what are the ways that you would say, I mean, obviously prayer is a great way, praying over them. But what would it be some like, you say, these are some ways that you can show your man that, that, that you love him, that you care for him. What would be some ways that you would think of? Well, words are a big one. Um, I think that, that we can get... Um, we can get pretty nasty with our words sometimes and that's how we battle as much as anything I think and but on the flip side we can use our words for good and if there is you know something 
when we see those things that we're encouraged by or that our man is coming through to um to speak words that encourage that and say thank you and um and our words as we're talking about our husbands um just to choose carefully because i we can do a lot of damage or we can protect our our men and their names with how we talk about them with our girlfriends or in public why is it so important to change you and try to instead of fixing him or fixing me or why, why is that important why is that valuable how does that change the relationship or the emphasis what's good about that well that's what we have control of um, so often you know if if your prayer requests are all about change this situation change my husband um, what we have control of is how we react to our responses and and we you know that that is um, what do you do for me like when you know that we're at a crossroad and uh, what would you like you really believe that the Spirit of God is telling you that this is what we need to do and I'm I I don't agree with you and, and what, what when you walk away what do you do how do you what happens? What do you normally do when we're at a crossroad or impasse? Well, I have become more and more a prayer warrior. I, I really um, take that to heart and believe there's a lot of power in that. And one thing I want to say, I'm really thankful that you ask me my opinion on a lot of things. Um, and it doesn't mean that he always goes with what I think. <laughs> <laughs> But I, I really feel like that's one of our strengths is, is we talk to each other, communicate, and I feel like you really care about what I think, and, and you'll often run things by me, and I really appreciate that. I just want to say that. Thanks. Then there's those times when I, I know I'm right, and Ann knows she's right, and so she just begins praying. And there's something about a, a mother's prayers and a wife's prayers. You know, I'll be driving down the road. Sooner or later, I listen to the Spirit of God, and she knows that. Um, and, and I'll be riding along, and it's like the Holy Spirit says, Jim, she's right. And I'm like, stink. It's like, it's like oh, man. And so, uh, and so I've went back to her many times and said, you know, the direction that you um, they wanted to go is probably the best way. Let's go. You know, one thing you haven't done, I know you want to because you're human flat. You want to say, don't you so? But you never, <laughs> but she doesn't, by the way. Um, but that's been been a good journey. What would be some parting words that you would give to, to women today uh, in, in light of, of even just the covenant between God and how there aren't any other options and, yeah. and, and even like it's worth it. What, what would you say in parting to the ladies today? Okay. It is so worth it um, because things do change and they, they can change and as you learn and grow and you can build something really special together with the man that you're that you're with now don't even let the thought that maybe a different one would be better that is that thought is from Satan it's um, so work with what you have and do your best and I have a sermon illustration oh boy preach it sister (laughs) 
I texted Hannah to bring this. Um, I didn't have it the first service, so this is a surprise to Jim. But this is just a little example. Oh, man. <laughs> okay, I've had this sweatshirt for a couple years, and I really like this sweatshirt. And actually, like, when I wear it, a lot of times I've gotten compliments on it. And I put it on this week, and Jim said, you know, I don't really like that sweatshirt. <laughs> it looks like a Dalmatian dog. <laughs> it's Nike. I thought it, you know, it's cool for a 47-year-old. <laughs> you don't need a hoodie to make yourself cool, honey. <laughs> well, this is an example of change because actually, like, I was thinking about this this morning, how I've changed. In our first year of marriage, I had this favorite red sweater. Oh, boy. <laughs> I, loved, I loved my sweater. I, I actually even wore it through the pregnancy with Josh and then wanted to wear it after. And um, Jim, I'm sure he had to work up the nerve because, he, you know, sometimes those comments aren't received as graciously <laughs> as I would like to um, receive them. But, but he he made comment uh, that maybe it was time to get rid of the red sweater. <laughs> I was creative in the way I said and that to I, you guys. I was really thinking, Jim, red sweater. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, so I did end up parting with the red sweater, but it was hard. <laughs> but I, all that to say, this... The sweatshirt is, is on its way out. It was actually down in the pile, headed towards Goodwill or wherever, and I asked Hannah to bring it just so I could, could show you because Jim is worth way more than this, any sweatshirt or any red sweater. It just shows how pathetic I am. <laughs> no, but I think it shows our attitude sometimes. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Really, what is more important? Yeah. You are, honey, that's for sure. Hey, I'll close in prayer. God, thanks for this day. Thanks for the love that you give us. Thanks for our brides and thanks for our, our grooms, our husbands. And uh, God, I pray that we'll communicate and that we'll fight for each other. Just let us uh, walk the line because they're mine and hold on to that. Protect our marriages from the enemy. And may our marriages flourish. We love you, Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. See you next week.